0: miss our children at this time to children's church you know one of the one of the most exciting times in my life as a dad was when my little ones learned that song amazing grace and one of the, uh, as, as I'm rocking them to sleep, and as I'm feeding them, you know, as painful as it is, but I'm singing to them. And, and one of the songs that I always sing is Amazing Grace, and when, when that little girl, or that little boy at, at two years old sings that line, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. It is such a. A wonderful truth that even at two years old, at three years old, as as they can begin to articulate those words, that that they understand that they are in need of a Savior, even at two years old. That they are in need of grace. It's my prayer this morning that as you leave this place, that you will experience the grace of God. I want to share a story with you about a young man A young man that was born, and as he was born, he was given the name Baby Maddox, because they couldn't decide what to name him. Eventually, his name, after a few weeks, was changed from Baby Maddox to Charles Maddox. He was born to an unwed mother uh, who was an alcoholic. She was born, or she was about 16 years old when the young man was born. She had been, at the early age of 16, had been uh, struggling with alcohol and substance abuse, had been arrested multiple times for prostitution. And this young man, Charles Maddox, was brought into the world in this environment. Soon his mother married, and his name was changed from Charles Maddox to Charles. Manson he was placed at a very early age because his parents could not care for him or would not care for him he was placed at a boy's home he bounced around from juvenile detention center to reform school to boys home to group home until he was about 13 years old at 13 years old he ran away escaped from these reform schools and went and found his mom She communicated, she said, I don't want you. You're on your own. He began getting by and making ends meet by petty theft and criminal activity. He spent the majority of his adolescent years in and out of reformed schools and or institutions. One story that he told biographers was at an early age, his mother sold him for a pitcher of beer, later on to be retrieved by his uncle and given back to his mother. At the age of 13, he was sexually abused at one of the boys' homes where he was. His entire childhood, he was communicated one thing, no one wants you, you're worthless, you are rejected. You know, it's sad, but we will become what we believe about ourselves. You will become what you believe yourself to be. If you believe yourself to be worthless, if you believe yourselves to be, to be uh, uh, troubled and to be of no value and have no worth in life, then ultimately that belief will become self-fulfilling. There's a, I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not advocating a, a positive thought transforms your life, negative thought uh, condemns your life. But there is, a, there is a real truth to the reality that, that what we think about ourselves has a great impact and a great effect on who we will become and what we will do with our lives. In Scripture, this is very much the case. There is a paradox when it comes to our identity. A paradox is, is something that is, that is, that is both, both true and false simultaneously. And when it comes to our identity, there is a paradox. The Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that we are created in the image of God, that we are created in the Imago Dei, that we are created in His image. But the scripture also tells us that we are sinners. And that we are, it says in Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It tells us in Jeremiah that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? David said, I was brought forth in sin and in iniquity my mother conceived me. Yet David understood that he was a man after God's own heart. There is a paradox that, that exists Within our identity, we are created in the image of God, holy, righteous, and we are sinners, wicked. At the very heart of hearts, we are, we are deceitful, evil sinners. I want to point out something to you. As we get into our text this morning, the identity of Matthew you have your bibles you can open up to the book of matthew chapter 9 we're going to read verses 9 through 13 this morning matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13 as jesus passed on from there he saw a man called matthew sitting in the tax office and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, many tax tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? When he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let's pray. God, as we read this this very simple passage, that you came not for the healthy, not for the righteous, but for the sick and the sinners. As we see ourselves this morning, may we see ourselves sick in need of a physician, sinners in need of a Savior. And may we come to a head-on collision with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to point out to you the paradox in Matthew's identity. Now, we see in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And all accounts are that Matthew followed Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, the very next chapter. Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. Jesus is giving us a a list of his disciples. And if you go and you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, it says, now these are the names of the 12 apostles. These are the first, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. We get this list of disciples. How does it describe Matthew? tax collector how does it describe james and john the son of zebedee how does it describe how does it describe simon the zealot we we have all of these descriptions all of these identities i want us to notice how it describes jesus i'm sorry how it describes matthew the tax collector and this is after matthew has begun following jesus see matthew was both a disciple of christ and a tax collector, a sinner. There is a paradox in our identity. Even for those who are followers of Jesus, we are Christians, we are saved, we are in the process of being sanctified, and we are liars, we're thieves, we're adulterers in need of grace. There's a paradox. Paul said it like this. He said it in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul said this. He said, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin and death? But if if you back up just a few verses, Paul says this. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, for the wanting to do good is present. But the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. And I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Does that sound familiar in your lives? Oh, wretched man that I am. I want to do what's right, but I just can't. The wanting to do good is there, but the doing of the good is not. That's the problem that every 13-year-old has. I want to do right, but but I just don't. And if you're a 13-year-old boy, you have no hope. It's just there's something there's something biological that happens in your in your frontal lobe and, and you just you have no impulse control. And your parents know this all too well because they ask you, what were you thinking? And your response is very apt. I don't know. Because you weren't. And the reality is, is, is that, that there, there's a paradox in our identity. We're creating the image of God, yet we're sinners. We're liars. We're thieves. I have good news. Matthew is the first disciple called by Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is the first disciple called by Jesus. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus desires the undesirable. I want us to think about the history of redemption throughout all of time. The three most influential men in all of the Old Testament, arguably, are are Abraham, Moses, and David. If you look at the story of Abraham, Moses, and David, what you have is Abraham, a man who makes the decision to give his wife to another man to save his skin. Moses kills a man and runs and hides. David sends his army off to war and goes and sleeps with one of his soldiers' wife and then has him killed. The patriarchs of the church. God desires the undesirable, church. Look at the, the ragtag group of disciples that Jesus calls. Matthew, a tax collector. By his vocation, he is employed by Rome, by the very people who are oppressing and by the very people who are enslaving the Jewish people. He is being paid by them, and they tell him, as long as you give us X percentage of 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 your take you can rob and you can steal and you can take as much as you want. And so he is a thief by vocation. You have Simon the zealot, a man who who by his very identity is is a a troublemaker. Somebody who is who is committed to rebelling against and 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 antagonizing the established authority. Peter and John, fishermen. Jesus desires the undesirable. What's interesting, if you go back to the text, look at Matthew chapter 9. I want, to say, I want us to see something. Jesus is passing by Matthew's office. And Matthew saw Jesus coming by and ran out and said, Jesus have mercy upon me. Is that what your text says? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Who was it that was the pursuer in Matthew chapter 9? Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the liar, the thief, the sinner, the tax collector, who was in need of grace, who was in need of mercy, he was not the one who pursued Jesus. But it was Jesus who pursued Matthew. Jesus pursued him. Jesus is pursuing you. I want you to hear this. That there's not a raindrop that falls to the ground without the foreign and the providence of God. There's not a leaf that falls off of a branch of a tree and hits the ground without God's foreordination and God's providence. There is nothing in this world that happens outside of the ordination and the providence of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe the word of God. Colossians chapter 3. I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 1. Hear what the word of God says. It says in verse 15, it says that He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. Not that Christ was born, but that Christ is preeminent over all creation. Verse 16, look at what it says. For by Him all things were created, both in heaven and in earth, visible invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Christ is not only the creator, but He is the sustainer of all things. Christ is, in and of Himself, sovereign over all things. Christ is Lord. And Christ is ordaining all things for His glory, and Christ is pursuing you. Do you realize... That in the sovereignty of God that He has ordained all things to bring you here today for this purpose and for this time. That God has, has in His great grace that He has orchestrated all things in your life to bring you to the place where you're sitting in the pew right here, right now hearing the message of God's grace. You say, but preacher, it was... It was the fact that my my husband got transferred and we moved from this city to this city and we were looking for a school and it was after school started and, and everybody else was full and we just happened to be here. Who do you think is in control of all things? God. God has, or in the same sense, in the same sense that God had ordained Christ would be passing through that city and that Matthew would be sitting in that tax office and that Christ would walk by and he would say, Matthew, come, follow me. Christ is pursuing you. And he's pursuing you because of who he is, not because of who you are. I want us to notice as well that not only was Christ pursuing Matthew, but that Christ opposed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Christ would rather spend time with liars, thieves, adulterers, murderers, than the religious elite of his day. Look at Matthew chapter 9. I want to see the text. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. When Christ was confronted by the Pharisees, look at what he says. He said, is it not those who are healthy who need a physician, go to the, uh, but those who are sick? But go and learn what it means. So he tells the Pharisees, leave. Go and learn what this means. That I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with you and your righteousness. Go learn what this means. Leave. Because clearly your heart is not the same as that of the sinner. What does Jesus say when the Pharisees confront him? He says, you are brood of vipers. He calls them sons of the devil. That's what Jesus calls the religious leaders. And what does he say to the adulterous woman? The woman caught in the very act of adultery? says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus opposes the righteous or the pseudo-righteous. It's interesting that we deceive ourselves thinking that somehow if we get dressed up for church, if we carry our big Bibles, if we, if we don't say the wrong things, if we don't do the wrong things, if we put enough money in the offering plate at church, if we can somehow, somehow put on this this, this facade of righteousness that we can impress God. That we can somehow garner the favor of God if I teach Sunday school or if I serve in this capacity or if I help in vacation Bible school or if I do this or if I do that or if I give enough money or if if I can somehow impress God with my righteousness then maybe I'll just garner the favor of God. God opposes the righteous God is not impressed with our our piety. I want us to notice what, what he says in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64. This is what God says of our righteousness. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. He says this. He says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. I want to unpack this for just a little bit, and I apologize for the crudeness of the text, but it is what it is. That phrase, filthy garments, many of your versions may read slightly different. May read, our righteousness are as filthy rags or dirty rags. The language in the Hebrew is very clear what that is referencing. In Hebrew texts or in the ancient world, there was no feminine products for a woman to use during her menstrual cycle. And so, what they would do is they would use rags or cloths so that it would not soil themselves during that time of the month. And so, when Isaiah makes this statement. I want us to understand the filth and the, 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 the disgustingness that is in the text because when you go to the English, when you go from Hebrew to English, it loses its, its, its pungency. It loses its, its pointedness. But the text says this. He says, your righteousness, your attempt to be good enough, your attempt to follow the law, your attempt to do everything that you're supposed to do is like those filthy, disgusting rags. All of our piety all of our whitewashedness that we bring to to, to God, All all of our service, all of our good works, all of our gifts, everything that we bring to God is like filthy rags. That's how God views the righteousness of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. That's how God views our attempts to be good enough for Him. Because Christ does not desire the righteous Christ desires the undesirable. Christ opposes the righteousness. So what takes place? Christ, Jesus, sees Matthew, the undesirable, and he pursues him. And he comes to Matthew, and he says this. He says, come and follow me. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. It says, and it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus. What does table fellowship communicate? In the ancient world, it was very important for us to understand this. In the ancient world, there was no chilies, There was no... Applebee's, there was no Waffle House, there is no McDonald's, there are no restaurants. They don't exist. You either ate in your home or you ate in someone else's home. You couldn't go down to the corner store and go down to the, to the deli and, and, get a, and get a burger. It didn't exist. Table fellowship communicated intimacy. Table fellowship equals intimate communion. This must happen in the home. You would invite someone to your house. You would say, come have dinner with me. And as they came and had dinner at your house, you were communicating to them and to everyone else that you accepted this person into your life, that they were a a meaningful relationship to you, that you accepted them for, for who they were that you you were giving hearty approval to them, to their lifestyle, to their livelihood. You were identifying yourself with them. And so that's why when Jesus invited tax collectors and sinners and adulterers and slumlords and the rabble that he hung out with, the shepherds, the lowest of society. That's why when Jesus invited them into his home, someone who was identified by all people as someone sent from God. It was clear by what Christ did. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He fed the thousands. He spoke, thus saith the Lord. He said, truly I say to you. He said, you have heard it said by the prophets. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, Christ spoke on behalf of God. Christ did mighty miracles, he cast out demons, he fed the thousands. It is clear in Acts chapter 2, Peter tells us that Jesus was attested as a man from God by the signs and the wonders that he did. And so by all accounts, by anybody's estimation, Jesus was sent from God. And so someone sent from God is, is disallowing fellowship, table fellowship with the religious elite. He's not inviting the scribes, the Pharisees. He's not inviting the Sadducees. He's not inviting the rabbis and the religious leaders. But who is He inviting? He's inviting the prostitute. He's inviting the thief. He's inviting the shepherd. He's inviting the slumlord. He's inviting the gambler. He's inviting the herdsman, the criminal. Jesus is is single-handedly destroying the entire social caste system In the ancient world. According to the Jewish customs. This was. Not just a. Something that was frowned upon. But this was something that could result in. In criminal persecution. uh, Prosecution. Jesus challenged the status quo. The tax collector believed that he was not good enough to associate with the religious elite. He believed that he was not good enough to go to the synagogue because he was was ostracized, He he was excommunicated from the Jewish people. And so the one place that he was not accepted was the synagogue. But Jesus says, come, have dinner with me. He challenged the status quo. They believed that they were not good enough. They believed that their sin was too gross, that it was too bad. The prostitute believed that there was no way that she would ever be accepted by God, that she was not good enough. Jesus challenged the status quo. It's interesting that shame is the power that sin has over the addict many of us have family friends loved ones many of us ourselves have walked through addiction many of us ourselves don't even realize that we are in addiction and I would uh, challenge to say that most of us are addicted to something It may not be drugs, alcohol, it may not be gambling, it may not be one of these things that you see on a billboard. Maybe it's addicted, maybe we're addicted to pleasing others. Maybe we're addicted to pleasure. Maybe we are addicted to to approval. Maybe we are addicted to our own pride and arrogance. The power over the addict is shame. Why does the drug addict not get help? Why does the the alcoholic not seek help? Why does someone in the thralls of of gambling addiction not get help? Because they believe that if you really knew who I was, that you wouldn't love me. The addict believes that that if, if people really know the truth about who I am, That you wouldn't love me. And that's why they live their lives in secret. That's why they have a a life that that they put on, a face that they put on for their family, for their friends, for everybody else. And then there's the secret compartment to their life. That if we ever get a glimpse of that, that, that we won't love them. What is so amazing about the gospel and the grace of God is this, is that God knows the secret compartments of our life and says, I love you. Not because you are pretty on the outside, but I love you even though you are a liar, you are a thief, you are an addict, you are an abuser, you are whatever, fill in the blank. The wonderful message of the Gospel is Jesus saw Matthew sitting in the tax office being a thief. He was in the very act of of immorality. He was in the very act of unethical behavior. And that's when Jesus said, come follow me. The woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery and brought to Jesus so that he would stone her. Jesus said, grace, mercy, I love you. The gospel of Jesus is for the prostitute. It is for the tax collector. It is for For the sinner. Church, hear this. The gospel, the grace of God is for you. In Christ, there is freedom from bondage. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. I want us to hear this. John the Revelator says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. Who accuses them before our God day and night? I want you to understand that Satan, the enemy, is called the accuser of the brethren because he is constantly telling you you're not good enough. He is constantly telling you that what you have done has caused you to be unfit for God. That there's nothing that you could ever do to overcome what you have done. He is constantly accusing you of your sin. He is constantly accusing you of of the power that sin has over you. He's saying, and you call yourself a Christian, look at what you've done. Look at what you've said. Look at how you've lied. Look at how you've stolen. Look at what you've done to your family. He's saying you're not worthy. But listen to the next verse. Verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. And they overcame Him. Those who were being accused overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life, even unto death. The accuser of the brethren has been defeated. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ... The free, in Christ, there's freedom from bondage. In Christ, there's healing from brokenness. It's interesting that as John sees the picture of heaven, he sees a marriage feast. He sees table fellowship. Isn't it interesting? On earth, Jesus spent his time fellowshipping sitting down, having dinner with the thief, the prostitute, the lowest of the low. In heaven, the picture is this. We will sit down, and we will have dinner with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You remember the parable of the marriage feast? Jesus says that the king invited all of the wealthy, all of the religious leaders... And what happened? None of them showed up. So the king sent his servants. He said, "Go invite anybody and everybody off the street." And they showed up. And he clothed them by his own by his own money and with his own with his own coffers. He clothed them in wedding clothes. He clothed them in righteousness so that they would be so that they would be worthy to sit at the feast. Do you see the message of the gospel? There's nothing good in us. There's nothing that we can bring to the table, but God says, "Come to me, and I will clothe you with my righteousness." Though you are sinners, though you are liars, though you are thieves, though you are addicts, though you're an alcoholic, though you're a substance, though you're you're addicted to substance abuse, though you are you are uh, whatever. Come to me. I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. That's the grace of God. Church, I want you to hear that Jesus desires the undesirable. He wants the loser. He wants the broken. The failure. Because when He takes the broken and redeems us and uses us for His glory, Christ, Gets all of the glory. In Christ, there's healing from brokenness. I want to read one passage and then we'll close. Psalm 103, verses 8-14. through The psalmist says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Listen to verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgression from us, just as the Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. There are some of you here this morning, and you're here simply because it's RCA Day. You're here because your kids told you, Dad, if I go, Mom, if I go, they're going to give me a free dress pass. (laughs) You're here because because Ms. DeLeon begged you to come and sing and Pastor Preston said, If you come, I'll give you popsicles. God, by His grace and by His sovereignty, has brought you here. And you say, Preacher, I hear what you're saying, but there's no way that if you knew what I've done, if you knew the thoughts that were in my head, if you knew the things that I did in my life, that you would say that God desires me, that God desires a relationship with me. And I'm telling you quite the opposite. I'm telling you that I don't have to know what you've done because I know what I've done. I know the thoughts that run through my mind. I know the the depravity that I've been guilty of. And God's grace sought me. The beautiful message of the Gospel is there's nothing that we can bring to God. All He desires is for us to turn from our sin and run to Him. This morning, I want to invite you to run to the grace of God. In just a few moments we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you've never experienced the grace of God in your life, if you've never experienced the forgiveness that is in Christ, I want to invite you to come. The scripture tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates His great love towards us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says that if we would place our faith and trust in Christ, it says in Romans chapter 10, 13, that all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. This morning, maybe you need to come asking for grace. Maybe this morning, you know Christ is your Savior, but you've been living in rebellion, and you need to come and recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe this morning, God is calling you to be a part of the local body here at Redeemer. Maybe God is simply calling you to bring your brokenness to the cross. As we have this time of invitation, may you do business with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came for sinners. That you came for thieves, for liars, for adulterers. Lord, we thank you that that you did not desire The righteous. You did not desire the pretty, the clean, but you came for the broken. You came for the adulterer. You came for the prostitute. Lord, there's someone here who's been trying to clean up their life to be good enough for you. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Because the reality is this, you'll never be good enough for God. But the truth of the Gospel is Christ was good enough. And He wants to give you His righteousness and take upon Himself your sin. If that's you, I want you to come. Maybe you're out there this morning and you just need to be reminded of the grace of God. And you need to come to this altar and get on your face before God. Or maybe you're out there this morning and you need to grab somebody with you and come down and pray. Or maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe God has saved you. He's changed your life but you've never followed the Lord in obedience by being baptized maybe God is calling you to be a part of this church this morning may the Holy Spirit move in and amongst your people God may your grace impact us this morning in Jesus name amen let's all stand as we sing